Welcome to the Ether. Today is Tuesday, January 18th, 2022. This episode of the Ether is brought to you by Talus. Talus is the NFT marketplace on Terra built for artists by artists. Find all the hottest one of one NFTs side by side with all the larger collections. Be sure to check out some of the new features on Talus, like the verified artist badge. Always know that the NFT you're bidding on or buying is the real deal by checking for that verified artist badge right there on the collection profile. Check out the collections page to find all the exciting new mints including Space Trips Space Alien, the Gravidow Lunar Assistant NFTs, and Meta Racers. Keep on scrolling and you'll find all the Terra NFT collections you know and love like Terrain, Terrans, Sushi Armageddon, and so much more. Make sure to check out all the cool art on Terra by going to talus.art today. Terra Spaces appreciates their support. Today on the Ether, we have the Axelar Chainapsis AMA. Let's take a listen. All right. Welcome, everyone. Just give us a minute as we get all of our speakers filed in. We'll start in just a minute or so. Hey, Sergey, I see you just joined. And Josh, welcome. Hello, hello. Hey, Josh. Hey, Eli. How's it going? Going hello. good. I'll let you guys take it away. Sweet. Sergey, you want to do the intro first? Awesome. Sure. Yeah. Um, hey, everyone. This is Sergey from Axelar. Um, we're building an interoperability network. And uh, yeah, excited to be here. And uh, hey, Josh, I guess. Good morning. Good morning. Awesome. Do you want to yeah, uh, take it off? I can do a quick intro as well. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Josh, uh, co-founder of Kepler, as well as Osmosis. Um, and yeah, we just released a new update to Kepler, which uh, has uh, Axelar mainnet. And yeah, really excited to see this mainnet begin to roll out and um, support the network from Genesis, which I think is fairly rare. So uh, yeah, excited to talk more about Axelar uh, and what it enables and yeah, the interchain in general. Awesome. Sounds great. Um, I guess... Josh, for you know our audience uh, at the Axelar side, do you want to just briefly mention like what is Kepler, what is Chainapsis, what are you guys are working on, and the kind of a what's the um, what are the short term goals? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Chainapsis is the company that's building Kepler, and then we also have team members working on Osmosis. So it's just more of a uh, company, but uh, I mean, Kepler Wallet is the interchain wallet, right? So, um, our entire team is just very bullish interchain from day one uh, of us hearing about it, and um, we're building. Uh, uh, we started off with the uh, browser extension wallet, and now we have a mobile wallet. But our goal is to basically enable application-specific blockchains uh, in the interchain to first of all, you know be able to 
provide their you know application services to users, and then for users to kind of you know on the other side use these applications, and um, you know for IBC to kind kind of tie everything together, and yeah, so I think our our role is just connecting developers and projects to users and vice versa. Yeah, makes sense. And so I guess like right now, you know, folks using IBC mostly for uh, token transfers, right, across Cosmos chains. Do you have plans to roll out other features through Kepler, like, you know, more general message passing or other types of uh, application requests? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, IBC is kind of, I mean, funnily enough, before we uh, really even started getting into uh, Kepler Wallet, you know, this is all the way back in early 2020. Um, one of the first things that we started working on was this thing called interchain accounts. And I believe that is, you know, shipping in the either next or next, next version of um, Cosmos SDK. And, you know, it's one of the first use cases of IBC outside of um, general token transfers. And I think it unlocks a lot of these like composability uh, type of, um, you know, use cases in the interchain. And uh, we're definitely excited for it. Um, Ultimately, I think for Kepler, you know, our role is to kind of support the uh, evolution of IBC uh, as it, you know, adds more features, as it becomes more powerful. And for, you know, users always have access to the kind of latest and the greatest um, features that are rolled out in, uh, in IBC as well. Yeah, and you guys launched a mobile version, right, a couple months ago, or maybe it was more than that? Yeah, I think I can't exactly remember the date. It just kind of like gone by with um, Lisbon and everything. But I think it's been about maybe about four months at this point. And right now we have, I believe, about seven networks that are natively supported. Uh, we have about 60,000 users, I think, um, the last time I checked uh, for both iOS and Android. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I think. There's a pretty substantial population in the world where it's like, you know, their primary access to the internet, you know, is is the mobile phone, uh, and you know, we want to make sure that they have access to um, the interchange just as much as you know someone with a MacBook or a a, a desk desktop. So, so would you say that mobile mm -hmm. is going to be the future? How most people interact with Kepler, or you think it's going to be still kind of the web wallet? Yeah, so I, I think it's like different target audiences. And, you know, for us, it's always, you know, Kepler has always been a very like uh, application focused um, wallet, right? So it's like, it's less so much about um, managing assets, although that's a critical part of it. I think our, you know, goal when we first started it is like, we think, you know, a wallet is more than just an asset management tool. And we know that like, this whole crypto and Web3 space is going to evolve into something a lot greater than just DeFi and money and staking, right? And and then, you know, on the other side, you know, I grew up in, in Indonesia where I think, you know, for me, you know, the, my first experience to the internet was on a computer, whereas I think there's people in Southeast Asia, in India, in Africa, where like their first experience to the internet was on the phone and uh, making sure that um, you know, just because you don't have a computer, like you can't access DeFi is completely like contradictory to the goal of something that we're trying to build. And yeah, so, you know, our emphasis building mobile wallet will always just be, uh, let's unlock, you know, the ability to use um, interchain applications 
even on the phone, just as easily as uh, you would be able to on the desktop. Yep, got it. Makes sense. And I guess I'm curious as you guys are, you know, exploring the IBC and kind of, you know, rolling out a lot of integrations with other chains through the IBC. What is the feedback from the users uh, as they're, um, you know, using the IBC? Because I, you know, I think there's still kind of it's it's new technology, right? There's still like a concept of you know channels and things like that or paths. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, what's your take on kind of yeah user feedback and how do you try to make the user experience better and simpler? Yeah, so I mean. I think we were the first wallet to really kind of support IBC at the uh, average user level. Uh, And it's been kind of a process of like experimenting, iterating, making changes and things like that. Um, When we first rolled out IBC in Kepler, um, you know, we kind of, it, it was built to be a feature more for advanced users. So you need to know, you know, which you have to set which channel you're sending to and you know, which chain you're sending to and, and things like that. And obviously, you know, from the average user's perspective, you know, um, they, don't, they don't know what the channel is. It took me for, you know, a while before I finally kind of understood. It's like, all right, this is what a channel is. This is what a packet is. And this is what, you know, um, client is. And, you know, our, our goal has just always been to abstract all of that. Uh, in the beginning of IBC rollout, I think... Um, you know, Kepler wallet was kind of the only way you could do IBC transfers. But at the same time, you know, there weren't that many use cases of IBC, right? At the time, you know, we were seeing maybe 10 IBC transactions a day um, just because there weren't any uh, large-scale applications using IBC. Now, all of that has changed. Uh, You know, I think we're seeing, you know, hundreds of thousands of IBC transactions happening every day. And uh, the great part about that is, you know, a lot of the abstraction of these like technicalities of uh, what IBC is, how IBC works, has been kind of simplified for the average user. So, uh, you know, today you wouldn't even need to know what a channel is. All you have to do is just like, you know, as long as, you know, we build web applications that have already set these values for the users, all they have to know is like, all right, I'm just transferring money from here to a different chain. And uh, a lot of times, you know, for I mean, when we were building Osmosis, I think we didn't even want to use the term like IBC transfers because I think, first of all, you know, if you're a first time user to Cosmos, you don't know what IBC is. And then, you know, when you're saying transfers, like, oh, I'm just like moving money between my accounts. I don't know, you know, what a transfer is. So we just, it's like, what's like the easiest way you could um, simplify that? We're like, I mean, assuming, you know, everyone that has money on a wallet has used an exchange and you know, every exchange has a way to deposit or withdraw. And, and that's kind of how we've abstracted. Uh, obviously, there's different takes to that. But um, in general, I think we've seen a lot better like UX being built uh, by the developers. And I think our goal in Kepler is just kind of enabling developers to build better applications and have to worry less about how the users interacting with um these transactions, these applications, how they're managing their private keys. And then for the users, you know, it's like um, when, when the last resort is a CLI, you just don't want to use it. So, um, you know, it's, it's as simple as, all right, I just want to make sure that I'm signing what they're telling me I'm signing. And then uh, all you have to do is just click a button. And next thing you know, you're, you're, you know, your money's traveling through the cosmos uh, through all these channels that you don't even realize uh, 
that exists. And that's exactly what we want the interchain to be in the long run. So yeah, for sure. And I guess, you know, uh, besides osmosis, what other exciting applications are you guys excited about in the in the Cosmos ecosystem? And uh, how does like Kepler play a role there? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, I'm pretty <laughs> excited about Axelar. Uh, and if you guys didn't know, I've, I've been a huge like Dogecoin fan. That's how I got into crypto. So just the fact that like Axelar brings, you know, the ability to bridge a lot of these blockchains that you know, previously weren't very easy to access. Uh, you know, these tend to be older um, blockchains or crypto. Uh, but at the same time, just because they're old and they've survived such a long time, there's a legacy to it. And there's a story to, you know, what they've been through. And um, just to be ability for a lot of these tokens to be able to also access the powerful, like, network effect of IVC is important. Um, and, you know, I think we're seeing a lot more DeFi applications being built around IBC. We're also seeing, you know, uh, Stargaze and Juno, uh, you know, unlocking things like NFTs. Um, and, yeah, I, I think, you know, a lot of these primitives have existed in crypto. Uh, what's novel about it is, like, what does that look like in the context of the interchain? And, you know, we saw in Osmosis that, you know, even just a simple AMM kind of like being in the interchain has different nuances. It has different impacts on the market. And, you know, first of all, when, you know, when an NFT meets uh, the interchain, what does that look like? You know, when a yield aggregator that does things cross-chain, you know, what does that look like? Are there benefits to it? And then, you know, obviously there's the kind of very natural uh, network effect of, you know, good DeFi applications bringing in more DeFi applications. And um, a lot of that just happening on the interchain, I think, is extremely exciting. So, yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, for us, I think one of the most, you know, exciting parts of working with you guys is that because the, you know, Axel network is IBC compatible, right? And we serve as this translation layer from it with other ecosystems, mm -hmm. you know, EVM chains like Bitcoin and so on and so forth, is then we can use the, the wallet and the power of IBC to connect these very distinct ecosystems, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, I think as you guys just flipped the wallet to the mainnet, we, we were doing some, you know, uh, uh, some basic transfers. And effectively, you know, what you can do is you can, you know, generate like an address on Axelor and then do an IBC transfer through Kepler to that address and route your packet to like other networks, right? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, in that case, like Kepler, you serves as this um, as the wallet that allows you to go not just through the Cosmos ecosystem, but also beyond that as well, which I think is pretty pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, I, I guess I'll ask you this question afterwards. But you know, from our perspective, it's like um, I think this whole you know interchain and IBC kind of ecosystem is. Uh, is I wouldn't say a complete rejection, but it's definitely it de deviates a lot from this whole you know fat protocol thesis and uh, trying to build very like fat apps that's able to do everything uh, in house. Uh, I think kind of the cosmos and the IBC world kind of take is you know it's like there are things that we're good at, but we do realize it's like we're not able to do everything in house. We're not able to you know control everything, and uh, if everyone has that mindset of like oh we're gonna just monopolize every you know, use cases of crypto uh, through our project, uh, I think we're just going to have to end up with, you know, s many, many different standards. And, uh, you know, that's not the kind of 
I, I think it's good to have competition, but at the same time, it's like when there's just too many things going on, I think it can be overwhelming and chaotic. I think IBC kind of has this take where, you know, it's like, hey, I suppose this is going to work on AMMs and there's going to be um, Juno Secret Network who has, you know, their own thesis of how smart contracts work and, and privacy works. And there's also, also going to be like application-specific lending protocols. And, you know, for bridging, it's like, it'd be ridiculous if each of these chains have to kind of work on their own bridge, maintain their own bridge. Uh, not only is that, you know, just like resources intensive in terms of like human resources, but, you know, economically, I think, um, when a lot of these, like how, how these bridges are secured are split across many chains, you just kind of end up with many weak links. Whereas, you know, for things like osmosis, it's like just the ability for us to kind of focus on building a better DEX uh, and, you know, improving IBC UX and just being like, all right, you know, we, ha- we can use Axelar, we can use, uh, you know, these like bridges that we don't really have to worry about. And just the fact that like being able to utilize that through IBC is kind of what's powerful uh, about this, like the whole IBC network effect. And, um, and I'm sure it's kind of like same for you guys as well, right? Just, just because, you know, if, just because of IBC, you do have, you know, many different use cases that these Axelar bridge tokens can be uh, utilized in and uh, there's significant demand uh, and, you know, all, all of that connection is just done very standardized through IBC. So, yeah, I mean, Sergey, do you want to kind of talk about how you guys chose IBC and uh, how you guys kind of came to that conclusion in your thesis as well? Yeah, I mean, you know, for us, I think um, our goal initially has been to connect very distinct ecosystems in an, you know, a, an easier way um, and build a platform to make to make these connections as easy as possible to stand up, right? Um, within the cosmos, you have kind of the IBC and the natural way to, to interact with those chains. Um, you know, with other ecosystems, like within Polkadot, you have your interoperability protocols. Within, you know, Avalanche, there is a, a notion of, you know, subnets and so on and so forth. Um, but kind of a, underneath it, right, like all these different chains still speak very um, kind of unique language and unique consensus that you have to translate from one to another. And I think for us, when we're starting to build, um, kind of a, first of all, we chose to build around the Cosmos SDK because we needed to kind of a customize our protocol as much as possible in order to make this integrations with other ecosystems easier. So we needed to um, customize, you know, the governance model, how read requests are right, done, how write requests are done. And, um, you know, naturally, kind of the Cosmos SDK was the, the starting point that, that allows us, that allowed us to make all those customizations. And plus, of course, you know, IBC was coming to life and, so um, that side of the integrations would naturally be um, very easy for us to, to facilitate, right? And then kind of as we're building more and more, we just realize the sort of the, the translation uh, functionality between the Cosmos chains and other chains through the Axel network is going to be, you know, incredibly powerful, right? Um, gonna, if you want to translate from IBC to EVM, like it's one type of translation that you have to do if you want to go, you know, to Wasm-based chain or Rust, you have to do another translation if you want to connect, you know, Bitcoin um, and uh, kind of send that across the request that you have to make and you have to have your own 
finalization rules and gadgets and things like that. Um, so for us, I think it's yeah, just the whole flexibility. I think of the of the ecosystem to build, um, you know, towards the the use cases that we targeted and the the vision to just interconnect all these agnostic ecosystems and blockchains um, is what uh, was was very exciting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then, I mean, I guess if you don't mind, can you kind of go briefly about how the testnet process has been? You know, what types of network you've worked with, and then um, afterwards, maybe kind of briefly talk about how this like mainnet rollout uh, will look like um, and what to expect from the community. Yeah, for sure. Um, the testnet we've been running you know, for over six months at this point. We had thousands of people participate in the testnet. I think we had over 100 validators um, running nodes and learning how to operate the network, how to build integrations with other chains, um, you know, and we'll support them. Um, and, you know, we had various folks that build like sample applications on top of the network. Um, and more recently, we just announced the rollout of the main network uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so what effectively that means is that we started production of the blocks on the main network with an initial validator set. And over the coming weeks, we'll be onboarding more validators, um, switching all the tooling um, that has been built on the test network, you know, including wallet integration, like dashboards, you know, monitoring tools, sample applications on top of the functionality over the network um, over the coming months. And, uh, you know, in terms of the integrations we've had on, on the testnet, we, we've had lots of different connections that we tried out. We had a Bitcoin module that we've been working with, um, you know, their integrations with uh, Cosmos chains, of course, through IBC, their integrations with EVM chains that you can do very easily right now, like including Avalanche, you know, Polygon, like uh, uh, Phantom and, and a bunch of others. And um, kind of the way that we build the network itself is, as opposed to focusing on a single connection, we really build it like as a platform to make building new connections as easy as possible in the ecosystem, right? Just to give you an example, uh, to onboard an EVM chain, assuming the validators uh, can register and vote on the request from it, it's like additional a dozen commands in like 10 minutes on the network for anybody to instantiate a connection, right? So it's, it's like really straightforward, if you look at even, um, you know, centralized exchanges, like they take four or six months to roll out a connection with another chain. Um, and like we can do it in, a, in 10 minutes on a decentralized platform, which is incredibly powerful. Um, and we also exposed all of the building blocks so that others can build connections in an easy way, right? So, you know, if there's a chain that we're not supporting whatever, Litecoin or something else, um, and you really want to have an integration, you can reuse all the building blocks that we've built, like you know, threshold crypto, multi-sig, voting gadgets, uh, finalization gadgets, and build those connections in an easy way. So, so it's really kind of a, for us has been a goal of building an ecosystem, and I think we've had everyone from dashboard builders to application builders um, to build around the network and and make you know interoperability and interchain really go mainstream. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, I guess you know. It seems like 2021, we saw a lot of kind of like layer twos uh, go a lot more mainstream. And then, you know, with that, it seems like there's a lot of these like bridges, right? But at the same time, 
it, it seems like you know i think there's different ways of bridging assets across different blockchains and um i think one thing i, I think it, it is pretty important to note like axelar does it differently i think there's an economic way of bridging things and then there's also you know something that's a lot more cryptographic and i think a lot lower level than what you know these smart contract like economic bridges do uh do you think you can kind of go briefly about that maybe not super technical for the like less technical listeners but um yeah yeah no i think that's a great question and you know in general you can think about security as as you pointed out in one or two ways there is one which is security by economics right so what is a simple example well I give you a voucher if you want to move your asset from a chain A into a chain B, and then you can use this voucher to like transact in a in a different blockchain. And you know, if some of us misbehave, then somebody gets uh, punished in an economic way, meaning that maybe there is a bond that I had to put as a collateral, and uh, you know, if I start taking vouchers away from the people, um, I get slashed uh, and I lose my bond. Right. And I think we've seen a few of the good examples. I think TBTC was probably you know, one of the most uh, famous experiments, which didn't really scale because not a lot of people um, kind of wanted to, to move these, um, to move uh, their collateral and lock it into this protocol in order to, to move some other assets from one ecosystem to another. So that's economic security, right? It's like somebody has to put some money up front and they'll get slashed if they misbehave in execution of the protocol one way or another. And um, our way from the beginning has been to really understand how do other blockchains achieve their security, right? And it's, you know, even though you have incentives, most of the security today is achieved through decentralization, right? So in the Cosmos chains, as an example, um, even though validators are voting with their stake, most of the stake that they get is actually delegated to them, right? So they're voting with somebody else's stake. Uh, and if they misbehave, like they get slashed in the protocol. So directly as a validator, um, it's actually, you know, not very, um, not very clear what are your incentives for running the protocol correctly. Right? Most of these chains have very minimal like self-delegation amount, like maybe it's like one atom or one Luna. Um, and security is really achieved through decentralization. Right, so it's a large enough set of validators that are maintaining the protocol and um, running this decentralized system to guarantee security. And that's really been our goal from day one: is to build a platform and a network which is decentralized and you know remains robust um, no matter what happens on economic level, um, prices going up or prices going down. You know, nobody's going to get liquidated. Um, nobody's going to lose their assets. And we're going to try to maximize the, the set of validators that we're going to participate, make the system open, right? So if some validators go down, you can pick up the protocol, uh, you can continue running it and, the, and maintain the security through the decentralization aspects, which I believe the only way to continue um, maintaining the openness and inclusion of the systems. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, I, I guess I'm kind of curious, it's like, you know, with, with the mainnet rollout, uh, you know, where do you kind of see these Axelar uh, bridged assets kind of landing? Uh, maybe there's a specific order that you kind of have in mind right now, or uh, maybe not. But um, yeah, if you just kind of have any idea on that. 
Yeah, I mean, we want to make you know liquidity flow as as much as possible. I think some some good examples of uh, kind of a projects that have been building around Axler and moving their assets. Uh, I think one good example is Terra and uh, and the UST distribution. So um, you know there was a proposal that Terra has put out there to move uh, UST through the Axel network to some other EVM compatible chains. Um, so that's definitely going to be um, you know, an interesting use case, which is using a network for a distribution of an asset. Um, in the you know, uh, in the other ways, we have uh, EVM-based assets that we want to flow into the Cosmos ecosystem. Everything from Ethereum assets to like Avalanche or Polygon. Um, I think Osmosis is definitely one of the most I think powerful DEXs that that's going to be rising in the coming year. And so definitely, you know, we're interested to bring more assets into uh, the Cosmos ecosystem and uh, Osmosis. So. Um, yeah, I think it'll be super exciting. Mm-hmm. And then, um, like my, you know, my personal kind of like last question was just like, all right, so like, you know, um, Axelar allows this like very like modular bridging thing. So like, you know, you could have a Bitcoin that was bridged through Axelar that ends up in Ethereum. Um, but let's say, you know, theoretically, you're also able to have Bitcoin that was like, you know, WBTC that's on Ethereum that ends up in Cosmos and we're just going to see a lot of these assets like have these like path dependent, you know, you move it from A to B to C. And then there's this asset that's also Bitcoin that moves from like C to B to A and and things like that. So I guess um, it's kind of curious if you had any, you know, uh, thoughts on like where this whole like with, you know, with all these chains kind of getting tangled up together. Uh, I think from the user's perspective, things can get a little bit messy where do you see uh, a lot of this going and um yeah what what can we do as you know builders of a wallet to kind of uh, alleviate some of that pain uh what are some things that you expect us to kind of collaborate on and yeah things like that you know i think that's that's a great question um to be honest i think the reality is that the users are exposed to these different assets um today because we're still talking about bridges right and uh, the reality is that i think over the next year and our goal is to eliminate bridges, right? So meaning that if a user has an interesting asset and they see you know, an application like Osmosis, they should be able to go ahead and use it no matter you know, where they are in the ecosystem, right? Like go deposit, trade, go withdraw whenever you're done and uh, do all of that uh, from their wallet um, without having to go through you know, bridging application, move from one ecosystem to another. All of that has to go away. Um, and so from that perspective, I think what we're going to have to do is build where users don't have to think about, you know, paths or um, specific assets or their versions. And, you know, as a chain or as an application, maybe there will be a couple different versions of an asset. I don't expect there will be, you know, dozens, but maybe like two or three that are, um, you know, secure and decentralized down the line. And above it, we can either swap between them or you know, provide a unified experience at the application layer where the user doesn't, doesn't have to understand, you know, mechanics of which path this asset took. Did it come, you know, directly from Axler or did it go to, you know, Ethereum and then through Axler to Osmosis? Um, so all of those, you know, paths and things like that need to be um, obfuscated in some sense um, from the users. And I think, yeah, we're still talking about it because we're still building the core connections, right? Uh, but once these connections are done, it's it's 
expanded this layer above of SDKs and simple APIs to make it easier to build applications that interact with these ecosystems in a um, chain agnostic way. Yeah, and, and I think that's like the interesting thing where like, it feels like crypto kind of goes like full circle again, where like, you know, back in the very early days of Bitcoin, it's like no one really, I mean, I guess there's people who are just like running the, you know, core Bitcoin client and, and things like that. But for the very average user, you know, there weren't any uh, client side, user side uh, infrastructure available. So, you know, the best choice that you had was stored on a custodian exchange or custodial wallet. And then, you know, wallets came and things kind of became pretty decentralized, a lot, you know, easier to do self-custody um, and, and the, a lot of the emphasis on self-custody. And then, you know, less so maybe on like the web app and like uh, how do you abstract things for the user? And then now, you know, with this whole like um, the world just kind of going crazy with the interchain, I, I feel like we're kind of going full circle and be like, all right, we need to kind of go back and. Uh, try to decide how do we build a better like web app, even though we're working in crypto. And um, turns out like that's a that's going to be a very like important thing on like whether you know if if, if we're if we're ever going to go mainstream with some of these like um, bridging ideas and like uh, yeah assets across different blockchains. So uh, yeah, yeah, cool. I mean, I think we have to realize that. Um... You know, you, you, to solve interoperability, right? It's not a specific kind of destination. And you know, here's one protocol, and like we call it a day. It's it's a layers, you know, of abstraction that you're gonna have to build in order to solve the user experience at the end of the day. Uh, as an example, you know, if you look at the web today, right? There is a, kind of a four core layers of protocols that have been built. Um, some of them are route-in protocols. Some of them are delivery protocols. And then there are application layer protocols and SDKs, right? That makes it easy to build like a web application that can communicate across different networks, right? And, and transfer information from one server to another, no matter where that information uh, came from. And um, kind of in the blockchain space, we're still like at layer, you know, one or two, where we're building these basic kind of routing protocols and just transmission protocols. And then above it, we have to, um, build these application level protocols and SDK to make simpler applications like multi-chain wallets, right? Like multi-chain DEXs. Um, and I think, you know, that's what we're um, focused more uh, in the coming year at Axler. And I think that's what, you know, it's going to be really exciting to to enable these cross-chain applications. Yeah. And, and that's a great analogy, I think, with of like uh, building the web right now just because i think you know even building non-crypto applications like you know back then you have to just like code all the front end in javascript and now you have all these libraries that make your life easier so um you know when you're building interchain applications like axelar can be one of these like libraries that you know just does a lot of the heavy lifting for you and then all you have to do is just really focus on the end product of app, app end product application that you're trying to build and you know, it just feels like you're interacting with an SDK that lets you use interchain or cross-chain assets. And yeah, that's, that's incredibly cool. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, Josh, it was nice chatting with you. Um, I think we're super excited to, to work with you guys. And I think you guys do an amazing job both at Kepler and Osmosis. So great to be, great to be um, partners with you on this. Yeah, absolutely. Always a pleasure. All right, then. We'll talk later. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Bye, everyone.
Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was the Axelar Chainapsis AMA recorded on Tuesday, January 18th, 2022. This episode of The Ether is brought to you by Talus. Talus is the NFT marketplace on Terra built for artists by artists. Find all the hottest one-of-one NFTs side-by-side with all the larger collections. Be sure to check out some of the new features on Talus like the verified artist badge. Always know the NFT you're bidding on or buying is the real deal by checking for that verified artist badge on the collection profile. Make sure you check out all the cool art on Terra by going to talus.art today. TerraSpaces appreciates their support. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Waking up like a basement dweller. Stepped out the door and heard racist yelling. 2020, what an ugly shit show. Staring at the fucking Rick Roll from the get-go. Looking outside, the whole state's on fire. The fuck do you expect when you embrace the liars? And replace the writers with AI just like us. Emaciated models killing bright birds. First in, last out, picture me rolling. The worst time to cash out, so what you holding? The Merc's gonna cash cow, country stolen. Drooling over chicken like the goose is golden. Trying to be so full, spitting that molten lava from the bottom of the caldera. I'm hot and gonna put it in a bottle and offer it to the god who hit the gas full throttle, blasting off in a rocket. The many people who will, will see things happen to them that are in their favor. So someone's looking over me. That's a, that's a fascinating phenomenon when that happens. And what, when you analyze those situations, what you find is, is that we as humans simply have a profound inability to understand statistics and probability. Stitching these writings, living that life like Who would have guessed you turn out this nice, right? Avoiding stress, that's the motherfucking secret Print that shit on a motherfucking leaflet I'm just an asshole hooked on the bricks Looking at the rectangles, damn they kinda thick We've gone through a whole lot of kings here Cutting off heads just to bring cheer Getting all fired up, Tiger King, line them up When you'd give an arm and a leg just to try the junk On some first time buyer's luck Alexa, set a reminder and remind me to buy a bunch And put your hands up if you fuck this year And keep them in the air if you're picking up the spare And put your mask on just to go outside Looking at the planet about to downsize So climate change will not make Earth Basically, every other coastal city that we've spent thousands of years building uh, in the, since the dawn of civilization. Ten spaces.